Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do have a special introductory offer for both my newsletter as well as Chen's. If you go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com you can uh, you can subscribe there or you can call my assistant in New York Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426 718-457-1426 and I like to tell you that the best website to go to for everything that uh, we do uh, Chen and myself as well as things that I do uh, and to access this radio show a very easy way to do it is to go to jtaylormedia.com that's j a y taylormedia.com you can get uh, those newsletters that I just mentioned, uh, as well as uh, a host of other things, uh, videos uh, that I do, as well as uh, occasional television appearances, radio shows, etc., that you can catch my commentary on, uh, jtaylormedia.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Airway Energy, Eurostar Gold Corp., Liberty Silver Corp., and Eurasian Minerals. Before I get started uh, talking about today's program, let me just say a couple of words about our sponsors. Uh, Airway Energy is an up-and-coming oil and gas producer from northern Alberta, and it is on a fairly aggressive growth pattern. Uh, I expect earnings to continue to rise very nicely. The company's stock has risen some 50% since June of this year uh, on news of growing profits and production, and I might add that it is doing very nicely without the sale of gas, natural gas. It is uh, shutting in that natural gas, now waiting for higher prices before it sells uh, the natural gas. But even aside from that, just on its oil, its uh, oil sales, it's doing very well. Uh, stock was trading earlier today at 66 cents. It's 54 million shares outstanding, so it has a tiny market cap, really, 
of 35 to 36 million dollars and it is a recommendation in my newsletter as is Eurostar Gold Corp this is an exploration and development gold company that's uh, involved in northern Mexico. Its flagship property is the El Antimino, uh property. It's, uh, this stock is selling at around $0.27 cents earlier today. It's really down from its highs. Uh, it had gone up considerably more, had come down, I think, on some drill results that perhaps people who don't really understand the geology and the significance of a drill result uh, probably was a bit disappointed, but frankly, if you look closely and if you understand what's going on, you'll realize the 179 meters grading 0.36 grams of gold per ton, given where it was, is not a disappointment to the geologist, and there's plenty of reason, I believe, to think that Eurostar is a very attractive speculative exploration stock uh, with its market cap of only $9 million. And I would say that this is a company also a very important aspect is that it does have deep pockets behind the company. Always important for these little companies to be able to finance themselves in difficult markets where they don't have cash flow. Uh, also, another sponsor on the show is Liberty Silver Corp. And this is a company uh, that we have not yet heard from the uh, CEO of the company. I'm expecting we may do so. I'm, I'm guessing he's not able to come on right now to talk on this show because uh, they are in a hostile takeover attempt, a company called uh, Senan Resources. And I believe if uh, Trinity is able to get Senan, it will be good for both um, shareholders of both companies, but certainly believe it would be very good uh, for Trinity uh, Silver um, I should say for Liberty Silver Corp. Now, I'm getting confused because Trinity Silver is the name of a project this company has uh, in Nevada that I know something about. Uh, it is a property that Renaissance uh, Gold has, or Renaissance, uh, um, Renaissance Gold has. It's a, a project generator company, and this is a uh, Trinity Silver is a project of some merit uh, that I am somewhat familiar with and believe that that alone uh, provides. Uh, Liberty Silver with some good value, but uh, we do want to get them on the show sometime to talk. They do have a lot of other properties as well, and especially if they're able to acquire Senan uh, resources, I think it's going to be very positive for the company. And then last but not least, Eurasian Minerals uh, is a sponsor of this show. They just came on, I believe it was last week, as a sponsor. Eurasian Minerals has been a sponsor before on this show. It is also a company that I own shares in personally in my IRA. In fact, it is certainly one of my favorite holdings at this point in time. I like it for a number of reasons. Uh, it trades uh, it trades on the New York Stock Exchange now under the symbol EMXX. Uh, also trades in Toronto under the symbol EMX. $2.35 earlier today, 71.2 million shares. Gives it a market cap of $168 million. Well, what I really like about this company uh, is that it has numerous uh, highly prospective uh, gold and copper targets around the world, and it has major mining companies earning in, spending their money to earn in, uh, so that uh, Eurasian Minerals doesn't have to go constantly out to the market and raise capital to stay in the game. And these are companies like Newmont and Freeport MacBurn that are that are earning big bucks, uh, spending big bucks to earn in to uh, position in those properties. And believe me, you, Newmont and Freeport MacBurn are not in it for a million ounce gold deposits. They're in it for something much, much bigger in gold and copper deposits. And uh, one of the things that I think really has helped this company a lot was the uh, recent acquisition of Bullion Monarch. That's a royalty company in Nevada, and Bullion Monarch 
uh, is earning royalties, about $6 million a year that will flow now to Eurasian Minerals, comes from a project that Newmont is operating in Nevada. And I do believe uh, that there will be increased royalties coming out of that. So again, it's a company with a very strong balance sheet, Eurasian Minerals, uh, the potential to find major deposits. It's got a market cap of $168 million, so I think huge upside uh, once they find, uh, once one of these projects comes in, of course, there's no guarantees ever that that will happen. But the probabilities, I would say, are very good given the number of highly prospective large targets in Australia, in Turkey, uh, in uh, the United States, uh, as well as Haiti. And they recently just acquired um, an interest in a property that Freeport Macron is heading up in eastern Russia near the Chinese border. So Eurasian Minerals is uh, is one of my favorites, certainly. And they are a sponsor of this show. We will have them on uh, sometime in the near future to talk about uh, the company's prospects. Well, now let's get started uh, with today's show. Our main guest is John Perkins. He's the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, that's a book that we've talked about before. But today we want to talk to him a little bit more about another book he's written called Hoodwinked. In Hoodwinked, John talks about how the intersection of corporations and government cheat local citizens of various countries out of what the Founding Fathers of America tried to give us, namely life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And how have corporations' interests dictated American foreign policy is certainly a question we're going to get into, hopefully, with John. Uh, How is it that Americans are shedding blood and going into debt to fund foreign wars to enhance corporate profits? Is that what we're really doing? Or have we been hoodwinked into, uh, into thinking that these are efforts that are necessary for our own personal safety? Was Ron Paul right when in referring to the 9-11 attack uh, back in 2001 that the reason they are over here is because we are over there? I remember what kind of hostility that remark made from the Republican people at that, uh, uh, at that debate that was going on. Uh, but is there truth to it? The CIA reports have come out saying so. Uh, are we to believe our government when it says we're pulling out of Iraq when we have the largest embassy building anywhere in the world there and we employ 26,000 people in Iraq? Some pullout, I'd say. Or what about Afghanistan when we are insisting that we're pulling out of Afghanistan but we're going to continue to run Afghan prisons? Well, we'll get into some of those topics with John Perkins uh, and uh, I hope to talk to him uh, and get his views of uh, various things like Iceland, what's happened to Iceland since they went broke. What is the real cause behind the financial malaise that we are suffering through in the global economy now? And uh, are we anywhere near getting that, uh, that problem solved? Then following my discussion with John, I plan to speak with Jeff Dice. That's Ron Paul's chief of staff uh, and a friend of mine, as is Michael McKay, a friend of Jeff's and a friend of mine, a recent friend that I've learned to know. Michael was on our show not too long ago. Where both of these gentlemen are really more free market advocates, I would judge and I would guess, than John Perkins is. But we're, so we're going to uh, follow up with some questions that we had for John and some of John's views, and maybe pass them along to uh, to both of these these gentlemen, to Michael and to Jeff, and see what their views are on uh, on what John had to say. Um, certainly, both of them, um, I would say, both Michael and Jeff are free market advocates, and they're people that. We, uh, that I share a lot of, uh, I think most of the views they share, I share with them, so that bit of disclosure. You know what this show is really about is truth. What, what, uh, really is true? And it's not my truth, or Jeff's truth, or Michael's truth, or President Obama's truth, or my, any of our guests' truth, but it's what is the truth. 
that is the big question that I struggle with every day, certainly personally in my personal life as well as uh, on this show, because uh, we are always, I think, confronted with uh, examples of half-truths and uh, innuendo and all kinds of sometimes just complete falsehoods that are sold to us as truths. There are many different uh, examples in our lives, I think, and, and I believe that Many of the uh, of the mistruths that are that are sent our way through the major media and and certainly through uh, non major media as well. I think we need to always examine and and question ideas uh, and not just assume that whatever we hear is true. But an example of um, of a of a lie, a big lie that has really influenced the thinking of many people in the scientific community as well, and even more importantly, I think overall perhaps more importantly, not in the scientific community, but in the non-scientific community, is an exec, as an example of a big lie that was planted by Charles D. Walcott. He was an evolutionist and paleontologist back in the early 1900s. And this is a, an example that came out of an excellent book that I've been reading um, that's called Science, uh, The Science of God by Dr. Gerald Schroeder. Very interesting account of, uh, Dr., uh, of Charles Walcott who was uh, perhaps one of the most famous paleontologists of his day in that time. And he, uh, he collected uh, a huge number, I think some 60,000 fossil records that he created or that he was able to collect uh, from, a, uh, from the mountains in British Columbia. And, uh, and, and he, was a, he was a Darwinian evolutionist. He believed in uh, the slow uh, millions and hundreds of millions of years that it took to uh, for life to evolve, um, and the problem that he had when he found these, when he picked up these sixty thousand fossil records, was that the records didn't reveal that slow, long-term, methodol- uh, uh, say, um, chaotic development of life. In fact, it showed a sudden spurt of life within some, within some um, million, a couple of million years, rather than the hundreds of millions of years that the paleo, that the uh, that the people that uh, believed in uh, Darwinian evolution uh, held. Well, it, because this was such a threat to the conventional wisdom of that day, um, this good doctor uh, decided that he would just hide the evidence. So it was uh, for some 80 years or so that the, uh, that the records were, were hidden, uh, those that were taken from Burgess Pass in British Columbia by Dr. Uh, Walcott. They were hidden for this for the longest period of time, uh, so that the falsehood of gradual evolution could be sold to the public. And to this day, that is still a falsehood that is generally believed and taught in the schools. Uh, and so, this is an example I think that is very important because it hides the uh, the reality of, of of the world that we live in, the creation of the world we live in. How did it happen? And it has theological. It has, uh, I think, worldview. Uh, global implications. Um, it's just one of many, many examples we could talk about. There's a whole lot of other things like that I'd like to talk about on this show and time uh, that are not directly related to financial stuff, but in a way uh, are indirectly related. Last week, Russ Baker on this show, amazing story with Russ Baker uh, and his excellent book uh, called The Family of Secrets. And I started digging into that just yesterday, reading in Chapter 10. Uh, interestingly enough, it seems quite certain now that Nixon was taken down by an attempt by the CIA uh, and corporate interests that uh, were behind that uh, to trash Nixon. Nixon was too curious, it seems, about the Kennedy assassination, according to Chapter 10 of that book, 
and he was also uh, much too uh, not obliging enough to the interests of large uh, oil companies that really wanted those tax breaks, those uh, uh, tax breaks that would come along with um, uh, depletion allowances, etc. Well, uh, there's so much more to talk to you about, but we do have to get on to the practical aspects of how to protect ourselves in this and these markets. Uh, it is time for a break, and when we come back, uh, I'll have some ideas about how um, how you might want to invest your money at this point in time, given the markets as I see them right now. So don't go away. I'll be right back. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information. Is your business ready to get started in social media? If you've already made that plunge, where do you stand right now? Are you using it to stay ahead of your competition? Or are you feeling a bit lost? Tune in to Social Media Pearls with host Shirley Williams. Shirley and her guest experts are here to answer your questions as well as focus on areas where you should have questions. It's everything you've always wanted to know about using social media for business. It's Social Media Pearls, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, I remain firmly in the deflation camp and believe the suggestion of commodity trader Jim Lyles is well worth listening to with respect to the tipping point uh, from uh, where we're at now, I think, is a credit deflation. Now, certainly there are prices that are rising, and I don't mean to say that we don't have inflation, but I think the underlying undertow, the enormous pressure underneath the surface is for a massive deflation because there just simply is so much debt that cannot be repaid. Now, Jim Lyles is talking about keeping your eye on the dollar index at 70.80. That's uh, .7080 uh, on the dollar index. And he's suggesting, and that's really, I think, mostly just a technical uh, line in the sand, essentially, if you look across the historical 
uh, chart for this for the dollar index, you'll see that that uh, would be you know falling below that would be new lows, and then there's nothing. There's no support below that. So we could see something really really big on the downside of. Uh, for the dollar would mean inflation as we would have to pay higher prices for imported goods, etc. Um, so, th- but there is one ma- major, um, I think one major reason why I remain very, very uh, much on the deflation side of this great inflation-deflation debate, and that really is that there is just such massive dollar debt that cannot be repaid. Uh, as the creditors call on the repayment, that increases the demand for dollars. And so you have essentially, as we saw after Lehman Brothers, a massive short covering of the dollar. When you think about it, if you take out a loan, you are really basically doing your part to increase the supply of dollars. You are also, you borrow the money and then you sell the dollars and put it out into the market to buy a car or a house or whatever you buy. And, uh, but when that trade gets unwound, when the banker calls and wants to get repaid, you gotta go out and sell that car, sell that asset, whatever it is, and buy dollars. And that essentially is what happened after Lehman Brothers are short covering. Now, the United States dollar is the biggest debtor, uh, debt currency in the world. It is the world's reserve currency, but it has more debt on it than any other currency. And especially, uh, we have had, what I would argue is that for those who are looking for hyperinflation, I'm saying we've already had our hyperinflation. I think we've had huge amounts of inflation, especially since 1971. And except for the 1970s, that inflation didn't really hit in the CPI or commodities so much. I think the massive amount of inflation, what people don't think of as inflation, is in the commodity, is in the, I'm sorry, in the financial markets in the stock markets and in the bond markets with trillions of dollars of U.S. Treasury debt out there and uh, trillions of dollars of stocks uh, and other financial assets that are out there. And this is really, I think, where the big inflation came from. It's also the way uh, that the wealth was reallocated from the people that create the wealth, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to those that control it, that is the bankers and uh, the government that uh, is in bed with the bankers and the large corporate interests is some of the things uh, certainly that we'll touch on with John Perkins uh, in a few minutes. Uh, so I think that the glo- that the Western world is in a huge global insolvency situation that we're now dealing with, and there are several reasons why I do not believe that this debt will be inflated away. First of all, creditors don't want to get paid back in worthless dollars, and the creditors are, in fact, those who are in charge of the central bank, and it's the large multinational uh, money center banks that really uh, own the, sh- the shares of the Federal Reserve. So they're not going to want us to get paid back uh, in uh, in next to nothing money. And the money that, the second reason is the money that is being created is pumped into the banks who are profiting from that uh, and holding that money in as reserves um, as uh, as they get paid by the by the Fed for that. And um, uh, so also of course that money allows them to stay healthy, uh, their balance sheets to stay healthy, and they can keep paying themselves big bonuses at the end of the year. So the the bankers are are happy with the way it is. The banks might lend out money if they thought they could make money, but the problem that they're having, I believe, is just pretty much like the 1930s when money was pumped into the system. Uh, the banks are not lending it out because they're having real trouble finding credit-worthy borrowers. The, the consumers are up to their eyeballs in credit or have been. Yes, their credit has been decreasing. That's true because they're 
people losing jobs. They don't have jobs now, or the jobs they have are paying less. So people are becoming, they don't have the credit worthiness that they had before. And of course, the mortgage debt market is, is uh, in a shambles as well. So so how do you get banks to lend? That's the big question. And uh, But again, I think that this is very difficult because, uh, as A. Gary Schilling was saying in his last newsletter, he, he pointed out that there are three things that need to happen for liquidity of the banks and the banks to start getting money out into the economy. First, he says that confidence in cash flows from consumers that are adequate to service the debt needs to take place. And there needs to be confidence, but confidence comes with uh, jobs and where are the jobs? Uh, it's a vicious cycle that uh, we can't get job creation because there's too much debt, so you don't get job creation, so there's no ability to pay off that debt. Uh, Schilling is saying, okay, so first we need confidence. The banks have to be confident they can lend out and get their money back. The second is we need uh, to see a rapid economic growth, not only in the United States but globally, and Schilling is really uh, concerned about what he uh, talks about, an excessive amount of supply out in the markets. I think he certainly sees some of that coming from China and elsewhere, but uh, huge amounts of supply and underutilization, um, and he says that uh, we need to get the economy booming so that demand picks up, uh, and then you could start to have rapid growth, uh, rapid growth in the economy, uh, and uh, and then you can absorb the excess uh, production that's out there. And thirdly, he says uh, that you would have to have the central banks sitting on their hands. In other words, not taking the credit back out of the markets uh, if we started approaching you know, full employment and. Uh, uh, and if we started having overutilization capacity and started to see some uh, some inflation arising again, then you'd have to see the central banks, um, central bankers sitting on their hands. Well, he talks about the uh, he doesn't believe that's going to happen because he believes the central banks are very concerned again about the uh, purchasing power of the currency. Now, certainly, uh, the dollar has lost huge amounts of value. Uh, since the Federal Reserve was created, I think it's something like 97% of its value. So to think that the central bankers aren't interested in inflation, no, I think they are. They definitely are interested in inflation as long as it profits them. Uh, but they've pushed the envelope, I believe, as far as they can, uh, and they can't see that it, that further inflation of the currency benefits them any longer. Uh, certainly not uh, I- I the way it used to, and so they are very hesitant, I think, uh, yes, we've had QE1, 2, and 3 probably now, uh, but there's more and more debate and loss of confidence that it's really going to work. And I think the reason it's not going to work and the reason it isn't working is because the debt is just so excessive it cannot be repaid. So what has to happen is we have to see the debt wrung out of the system, and there's no easy way for that to happen. So I think you know we're going to be going through a lot of very, very difficult times ahead. And I believe uh, until we see that sort of line in the sand that Jim Lyles talked about, 70, 80 on the uh, U.S. dollar index, it's now the dollar index is around 80, uh, a little over, I believe. Until we see that uh, 70, 80 uh, line in the sand violated, then I think I have to stick with the deflation side of this uh, of this uh, deflation deflation argument. Now, what does that mean for gold mining companies? What does it mean for your investments? How should you invest accordingly? Well, I think you certainly want to stay out of debt. I think you want to do everything that you can to get your debt paid and to uh, keep a job and keep income. 
that's for sure. Uh, and you need to, um, uh, you know, prepare yourself for the difficult times ahead. Probably spend less, uh, pull in your uh, your consumption habits, uh, and live certainly live within your means and, uh, and and don't live excessively. But if we look at um, at at what uh, this sort of environment means for gold, I would only point out that what happened to the real price of gold post Lehman Brothers, we saw the price of gold rise very dramatically. Uh, the real price of gold, I'm talking the nominal price, the nominal price of gold actually came down, but the real price of gold went up, and an ounce of gold rose dramatically. It, it more, went up more than 150% in terms of its purchasing power against the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. And uh, and with that came a very big increase in the profits of the gold mining companies. Um, so what I think this means is that we are in a bull market of a lifetime for gold mining companies. I will continue to recommend buying them. I own them myself, uh, own gold mining shares, uh, especially the smaller companies that I think are finding the, the deposits are, are the ones to own much better, I think, on the upside than the major mining companies, the Newmonts, the Gold Corps of this world. Um, I, I don't think they offer the same kind of upside potential as the juniors do that find the deposits. But, uh, you know, the, I think gold is where you need to be uh, and uh, a, a good part of your uh, portfolio. And also keep your balance sheet liquid if you can. Keep out of debt and keep uh, cash on hand. Now, certainly, um, I just should mention that I think technically we are seeing a rise in uh, in some of these markets now. We're seeing... Uh, I think a technical rise and a breakthrough on the upside for all of the gold shares, including the big guys. But the TSX, the Toronto Gold Share Index, which covers the smaller guys, uh, are doing are doing uh, better. So this is an environment that historically has been the best of all worlds for gold mining companies in a credit major massive credit deflation. The last time was the 1930s. I think we're in something at least as bad as that, if not worse. No, it's not that I. Love gold, and I think gold mining is such a great business. Believe me, if we could do other things that would be good for humankind, that would be good. But the markets are begging right now, are begging for capital to go into gold because of this horrendous abuse of the monetary system by the policymakers. And we're going to talk to John Perkins in just a minute or two after we go to commercial break. Uh, we want to find out what John's thoughts are about this mess we're in globally right now and how. We can each do our part to try to make this a little better place to live, a little better world to live in. Uh, lots of very fascinating things to talk to John about, so don't go away. We'll be right back with John Perkins. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.eurostargold.com for more information. 
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Perkins. Uh, he's an activist and economic ex-economic hitman and New York Times best-selling author uh, who was recruited by the, by the NSA during the last year at Boston University's School of Business Administration in 1968, and he spent the next three years in the Peace Corps, uh, in, the Peace Corps in South America and in 1971 joined the international consulting firm of Chas. T. Maine, that's a Boston-based company, uh, as chief economist and director of economic and regional planning. John's primary job was to convince third world countries to accept expensive loans for infrastructure projects, uh, etc. Uh, Perkins left uh, Chas Maine in 1981, and he founded uh, and became CEO of Independent Power Systems, pioneering, tech, pioneering technologies, and promoted the use of waste power plant heat in hydronic uh, greenhouses and other cogeneration applications in 1990 uh, he sold that company uh and founded Dream Change Coalition and uh the Pakaman uh, uh alliance he is the author of several books uh, including Confessions of an Economic Hitman which we've talked to him about before and uh, Hoodwinked um, a blueprint for a new form of global economics and that is the book we want to talk to John about Primarily today, well, welcome, John. Really good to have you back. Great to be with you, Jay. Thank you. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your your current activities, Dream Change Coalition and the uh, Pacamana uh, Alliance? Well, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, we. It's it, it, incidentally, it, uh, it's it's a Quechua word, and they, they pronounce it as Pachamama, although Pacamama works too, but. Uh, the way they pronounce it there is Pachamama, it's P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A, and people can go on the website, pachamama.org or dreamchange.org. Um, 
we do a great deal of work in the areas of, of helping people in the Amazon and indigenous people actually around the world try to protect their, their lands and their cultures. And right now, particularly at Pachamama, we are, are on the forefront of a movement to help the Ecuadorian government realize the, 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 the tremendous importance of keeping oil companies out of the Amazon areas. Uh, and, and, you know, there's two reasons for that. One is that when oil companies go in, they obviously they cause a lot of damage anyway. They, 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 a lot of pollution that results. They, they create roads that go in to move their equipment in on, and then lots of other people come in on those roads and create cattle farms and, and the mining operations and all kinds of very destructive things, and it's done in a very uncontrolled way. So the rainforest is destroyed massively when that happens. And it, it's a very fragile environment that can't grow back up. The second thing that happens is that the rainforests are one of the great carbon dioxide absorption tools of the planet. Mm-hmm. And we all know, you know, I mean, burning oil creates a lot of carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So not only are we destroying, uh, you know, not only are we hurting the rainforest to get the oil out, but we're also destroying the very sort of thing that can help clean up the pollution that, that oil causes. So uh, that's a big movement. Mm-hmm. Well, you're certainly devoted to it. Uh, I get your letter that comes out uh Frequently, uh, the last one I'm looking at here is August 21st, in which you talked about uh, Am- the, the title is Amazon Dreaming, the New Frontier in Ecuador's Courageous President. I want to ask you about uh, the president of, uh, of Ecuador and, and what he's doing down there. Well, well, maybe we'll just start with that. What, uh, what causes you to call uh, as President uh, Correa, I think, uh, what causes you to call him uh, courageous? Well, Yes, Rafael Correa, he has a Ph.D. in economics from the University of Illinois. So he's, you know, he understands our system. He understands capitalism. He speaks Quechua, the language, the indigenous language of the Andes, fluently, as well as Spanish, French, and English. He's a man of the world. Uh, He's really a Renaissance man. And he's under tremendous pressure today from the U.S. government and the oil companies and from a lot of his own people uh, to let the oil companies go into this very fragile environment in Ecuador uh, and destroy it. Uh, and he, he ran on a ticket that said he was going to protect those lands. But uh, since then, there's been tremendous pressure put on him, including a, a coup that was launched against him that was unsuccessful. But I think it was a very deep warning shot across the bow, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we have, Ecuador is one of the most densely populated countries in South America. But all the population is in the Andes and along the coast. A huge area of the country is Amazon, and there's hardly anybody living there, statistically. And so even a lot of the people of Ecuador say, well, we ought to go out there and let the oil companies exploit this land because nobody's living there. Mm. But the fact of the matter is the people who live there are hunters and gatherers. They need an awful lot of land. You can't have dense populations. And the bigger question, the bigger problem is that that, Rainforest is extremely valuable to the entire world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It puts Korea in a very, very difficult position because he's being pressured by the U.S. government, by the oil companies, and by a lot of his own people uh, to open this area up to oil companies. So we're trying to help him. We're trying to help the world understand. So Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change both spend a lot of time uh, teaching people about what's really going on in the world, about the need to. Uh, save rainforest to protect rainforest and cut back on oil consumption. We, we're, we're in over 70 
countries now with a program called the Awakening the Dreamer program, and you can find that at Pachamama.org or AwakeningTheDreamer.org. Uh, that is about this very thing. How do we how do we awaken our consciousness to the to, to the knowledge that we must change? We've got to stop consuming all this oil for one mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, uh, John, your book. Um... Uh, hoodwinked deals with the, the mess that we're in. It, it would certainly the global financial crisis that we're that we're in. You, that's a good part of what you're talking about in that book. And it seems to me that uh, you just mentioned excessive consumption. Uh, and I was mentioning a few moments ago about the need for us to cut back in our consumption. We Americans have consumed far more uh, on a per capita basis than anyone else around the world. And uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, how much of it is necessary and, and is another issue, but we've certainly been programmed to consume, 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 and, and borrow money uh, beyond our ability to repay it, obviously. Uh, do you think that perhaps this financial situation that we're, that we're finding ourselves into is going to be a forced way to sort of cause us to cut back globally? I, absolutely, I, I do believe that it's it's doing that, and I'm I'm very hopeful that we will get the message enough of us soon enough and act on it and uh, to to change things. Otherwise, things will probably change more radically and violently, and it won't be comfortable. But I think we are getting the message. I think it's been become very very clear to us that we've created a, a global economy that's that's a failure, a massive failure. You know, the, uh, this recession is pointing that out. But I think if you look at one, just one other statistic, there's a lot of statistics, but just one other really highlights it. Less than 5% of us live in the United States, and we consume almost 30% of the world's resources. Mm. Mm. Well, half the world's, you know, starving or, or close to starvation, living in dire poverty. And you, you have to know that that's not a model. Uh, can, you, India cannot replicate that, nor can China, nor Africa, nor Latin America. They they may want to replicate it, but but it can't. But they can't. The numbers just don't add up. So I think we we really have to look at the basic system. And and the recession is telling us this, but there's a lot of other statistics that are telling us this that we just cannot continue uh, with the system that we currently have. We've got to change it. Mm-hmm. So the real question is: Are we going to be rational? And change it gradually, or it can't be too gradual, but change it in a in make a transition that's that's relatively comfortable. Or are we going to resist change and and really be struck down really hard by some terrible calamity in the future? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly there is the status quo that wants to hang on to what they've had, and we've seen that through the banking crises that took place. Uh, and uh, it's it's not going to be easy, but certainly economics sometimes has a way of teaching lessons to people that uh, that you know the hard the hard facts of economics a lot of times uh, teach people things. But whether people are going to be willing to cut back, if you add those numbers you talked about, five percent of the population consuming thirty or thirty one percent, I think you said of the world's uh, of the world's consumption. And I suppose if you added Western Europe in there, uh, the total consumption would be closer to half, perhaps. But yeah, it, it certainly takes it up there. And, and I think the other thing that we need to understand is that uh, even of that 5% of us who live in the United States, as we all know, we, we talk about the 1% versus the 99%. It's mm-hmm. actually a lot less than 1%. Uh, uh, something like 400 individuals in the United States control more assets than, than 50% of the population of the United States. So 5% consuming 30% 
is is it's even worse than that because it's it's of that five percent, a very very small percentage are are the major consumers uh, of so many much of our resources, and it's important for us to recognize that and change it. If we uh, getting back to the president of Ecuador um, and thinking back about your initial book, the one that that people know you best for, the economic uh, confessions of an economic hitman, would seem to me you say there was already one coup attempt on him. Uh, it would seem to me that he's likely to be be an ongoing target of the the establishment that wants that oil out of Ecuador. Well, absolutely, and and I think the coup attempt was it failed on purpose. Uh, and I can I can go into that a little bit more if you like. Is that sure? You like? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, for about a year before that, the attempted coup on him. There was a coup against the president of Honduras, President Zelaya. He was overthrown in the CIA coup because he stood up to Dole and Chiquita and Russell Athletic and several other companies. Uh, he, he wanted to increase the minimum wage significantly, and that would have impacted those companies as well as cha- make land reform law changes, which would have had a big impact on Dole and Chiquita. Uh, they tried to change him. They sent people who had my old job, economic hitmen, down to try to change Zelaya. He would not give... And so he was overthrown and replaced by a very, very terrible, brutal dictator in Honduras who's still there. The country has lost freedom of the press. It's, it's lost a tremendous amount. So a little while later, there's a coup against uh, Correa of Ecuador. But it was, it was uh, run by a, the commandant of the Quito, the, the capital city's police. And any good CIA agent knows that that's not enough. You have to get the military behind a coup in Latin America. The police cannot do it alone, especially not the police of one city. That commandant was trained in the School of the Americas, CIA school, basically. I have no doubt that it was a CIA coup, but I don't think it was intended to be successful because the military was never behind it. Mm -hmm. However, I think it sent a very strong message to President Correa. It told him, listen, you know, we we did overthrow Zelaya in, in Honduras, uh, we could overthrow you, but we're just giving you a warning this time around. And as a result of that, Korea has really backed off. He's made a lot of compromises. And you know, Jay, if I were Korea, I would have to say, hey, you know, I've got to stay in office because if I get overthrown, my successor will be a real puppet, just mm-hmm. like the guy in Honduras today. Mm-hmm. He'll be a real dictator. Mm-hmm. Besides that, it'll send a message throughout the world that, that anybody who stands up against the oil companies is going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if I can stay in power and fight battles that I think I can win, and he is, he's doing some very good things, uh, and uh, he's, he's actually sort of thumbing his nose at the United States and England by uh, giving uh, amnesty into uh, to the WikiLeaks, uh, sure. uh, Julian Assange or Assange. Yep. And uh, and uh, so he's 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 fighting his battles, but he's fighting ones he knows he can win without being overthrown. I think it's very very telling what's happened. It's the classic story of how we control leaders of other countries. Well, you certainly have talked about that in uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, I think the first example of the uh, of the oil related coup was uh, Mossadegh in Iran, perhaps, right? 
Yes, absolutely. In the early fifties, we had we, we we had that in Iran. We also had something similar, almost the same time in Guatemala, uh, with with Arbenz, the president of Guatemala, who was overthrown in a coup because he went against Chiquita Dole and the big agribusinesses, and most of that in Iran went against the oil companies. So you know we're seeing almost a repeat of that now with with Honduras and Dole and Chiquita and Ecuador with oil companies. Uh, it's really interesting. We had last week uh, Russ Baker, who's written the book Family of Secrets, on this show. And uh, Russ is really getting into this book. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it yeah. talks about the Bush uh, family and the oil connections. And interestingly enough, it seems Joe is just like reading Chapter 10, in which he talked about the Nixon Watergate scandal and how it, it seems uh, as though that might have been related to Nixon's uh, lack of, uh, of um, uh, let's say, goodies uh in favoring oil and taxes and so forth and uh, very interesting i think uh that probably oil plays a huge part but so do other minerals right other uh mining is an in, is an industry that i'm intimately involved with as an investor uh i mostly smaller canadian mining companies that i talk to uh that are not so big and powerful and when they go into these local areas usually get involved very closely with with the native people and i think uh they certainly like us to believe that they are respectful of the, of the local people, whereas a lot of the larger companies seem to go in from the top down. They might have uh, connections with, with high-level officials in government, and they use that power to just basically steamroll over over environmental regulations and so forth. Have you, have you found that to be sort of the case? I, I have. In fact, uh, several years ago, I was invited to speak at a conference of mainly Canadian mining companies, uh, the CEOs and CFOs of these companies that the conference happened to be held in in uh, uh, Panama. It was a, a club called the Voyageurs Club, which is an investment group that, that works a lot with these mining companies. And they invited me to speak because they they said we know that the world is changing. These are the smaller companies that you mentioned, and uh, we know that things are changing in Latin America. We still want to be involved in mining in Latin America, but we want to know how we can do it in a way that will that will benefit the people. Mm-hmm. And keep keep on the good side of the people and the politics there. Mm-hmm. I was impressed by the fact that they they were really looking for solutions as to how they could be better citizens in these countries. I didn't I didn't do a follow up on it. I don't know whether they're implementing these things or not. But I do think a lot of these smaller companies realize that they they need to be good citizens, whereas the big companies, the oil companies, and a lot of the big companies have just gone in and and bulldozed their way through, and they basically say, hey, you know. We don't give a damn, and, and you know we saw BP do this in the in the in the case of the Gulf. Yeah, you know, being highly criticized for it today. But yeah. these oil companies have a nasty habit of feeling that they run the world, and yeah. in a way they do. In a way they do. I think that's uh, that's probably right. The, the power is behind the throne, as as it were. Well, in hoodwinked, um, you know, in chapter one of your book, you said. Um, uh, you said that our current depression is no accident, essentially, that um, I think you said no fluke was the title. Uh, on page 18, you make the following statement referring to the post-Lehman Brothers collapse of 2008. You said, and I quote, the collapse we are suffering today is neither a fluke nor uh, short-termed. Uh, it is the result of policies and attitudes that began before I became an economic hitman nearly four decades ago. So are you implying that policies uh, were in place that orchestrated the financial collapse, I mean, knowingly, or do you think it was just a result of all this sort of self-interest um, and policies that were directed towards the, the rich and powerful uh, corporate interest? 
I I think it was the latter. Uh, I don't think it was an, an, an intent to bring down the economy. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, and in a way it doesn't really matter what the intent was, it happened, and the rich guys get bailed out once again, and the rest of us are being asked to pay for it in one way or another. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's a very old system that we've seen. It's an, it's an imperialistic system that goes back to feudal times. Uh, and we're, we're living in a modern version of feudal times. You know, we've got the equivalent of the, the lord of the mansion who's surrounded by a few knights who ride out and force everybody else to pay tribute. Uh, and, uh, and, and taking all the goodies. And if they make mistakes or they, they, they lose out, uh, the, the law comes along, the, you know, sh- the sheriff of Nottingham comes along, uh, to protect them. And, and it's exactly what we're seeing today is, is we've, we've watched these people pillage the rest of us. We've watched them create terrible mistakes, uh, on, on Wall Street, make, make huge, take, take risky investments. And when they lose those investments, um, they don't want to admit that they were taking risky investments. They want to, they, they want to be, they want to pay back for these. So they, in fact, don't want to take any risk at all. And when what they do basically is try to convince us, the common people, that uh, that it's in our best interest to bail them out. I mean, it's not like they're taking us for a ride. Oh no, they you know some unfortunate things happen to come along beyond their control, and now uh, if we don't agree to these bailouts, then we're going to be even worse off. That's that's the, that's the program. That's the way they sell it, right? Right. And for heaven's sakes, don't tax them. I mean, even though Exxon and General Electric and these other big corporations can make billions of dollars in profits, uh, they expect not to have to pay any taxes, and, and many of them don't pay any taxes, which is just remarkable. And, of course, the same can be said for very, very wealthy individuals. Yeah. Well, there seems to be some uh, some clamping down on wealthy individuals. I suppose you just have to be wealthy enough to escape that. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the clamping down. I hear the rhetoric. Yeah, well, you, you, you know, both, you might both be right parties right now are, 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 are talking about it. Uh, but it hasn't happened. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm familiar somewhat with people with gold in Switzerland and places like that. But again, we're not talking about super duper wealthy people. We're talking about uh, people that, well, some of them might be. But in any event, I, I think the rhetoric is cheap, obviously. I want to ask you about uh, Iceland because that was really, uh, I think, you know, you start talking about Iceland in your book, Hoodwink, to start with and uh, early in the book. Um, Iceland. Just just tell our listeners, uh, for those that may not have heard you before, talk about it or read your book. W- how did we get Iceland in trouble, and who was responsible for that? You know, it's interesting, Jay. Too, I'm just on my way back to Iceland in October because uh, I've uh, uh, been uh, uh, I've been well, awarded. It's just sort of shocking to me. The Lennon Ono, John Lennon, Yoko Ono peace prize this year it's being given to me in Reykjavik Iceland in mid-October oh interesting uh, yeah very interesting you know a book Confessions of an Economic Hitman wins the peace prize which I think is wonderful I mean I'm very very happy but I was a little surprised I hadn't expected it to come so I'm on my way back there and I was there yes a few years ago as Iceland had just gone through this horrible bankruptcy that had gone through basically put under by debt, put under by the corporatocracy. And while I was there, I, I traveled around the country speaking at every event I possibly could and meeting with politicians and saying, don't pay off the debt. You, your people didn't incur this debt. A few politicians incurred it, and they, they've now left the country. They got very wealthy in the process. It's the same old story. Don't pay it. Mm-hmm. And of course, Iceland then had a referendum, 
And overwhelmingly, the people voted not to pay the debt, mm-hmm. and everybody was concerned if they didn't pay the debt that they would be, you know, uh, pariahs in the world. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is, today, Iceland is one of the top, highest rated uh, uh, countries in what's called the European zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, financially, they're one of the few that still has an investment grade rank rating. Yeah, there's uh, that's right. They've done they've done extremely well. Thank you for pointing that out. It's something that our media doesn't point out. Uh, I I wonder why. Uh, yeah, exactly. is, is a What's that? Yeah, exactly. You wonder why. Why does the media want to talk about this? You know, Argentina went through something similar. Ecuador refused to pay a lot of its debt. Rafael Correa refused to pay a huge amount of debt. He said, we don't owe it. The dictators of the 70s owe it, but our people don't owe it. And uh, Brazil went through something similar. In every case, these countries that refused to pay their debt end up better off because they refused. I'm wondering uh, if uh, if you would know somebody, and we can talk perhaps after uh, after the break here. Uh, if you know somebody, an economist or somebody, I might talk to and have on the show from from Iceland. Uh, if if you would know somebody, of course yourself. But uh, in any event, I find it very very interesting, and in, uh, that the that the media doesn't talk about. It. And of course, here now uh, we are faced with uh, with the with the calamity in Europe. Uh, what are your thoughts there? What should each of these countries do? My wife is uh, Portuguese. We've just we're over in Portugal, and things are pretty difficult over there. Uh, Greece, of course, is worse. Should these uh, should these various countries in Europe um, say no and, yeah, and pull I think out? They should. And, and Spain's another one. I, I, I was in, in in Ireland about two months ago, maybe three now, uh, just before the referendum there, trying to get the Irish people to vote no. Uh, we will not pay back our debts. Uh, the Irish people did not. They did not go the way of the people of Iceland, and and and, and Ireland's much worse off because of it. They've basically given up their 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 rights as a, the sovereignty Ireland has. And yeah, I think all of these countries uh, should stand up and say, hell no, you know, we're not gonna. We're not going to make the middle class and the poor classes pay for the mistakes of the wealthy, and especially if they could just if they would just band together, you know. And, and I think all the big debtor countries around the world, whether they're in Africa or Asia or Latin America or Europe, ought to band together and say, "We do not owe this money. These banks took risks. These banks and investment houses coerced us into coerced some individuals into accepting these debts. The people never agreed to accept these debts." And we don't intend to pay. Yeah, that's, uh, in fact, that was the logic, I think, that uh, the, the president of Ecuador used, right? Exactly. He was right. You know, in the 1970s, when I was an economic hitman, including working in Ecuador, there was a military junta that ran the country. And we economic hitmen convinced those guys to sign off on huge debts. And they took, they signed off on this money that never went to Ecuador. It went to our own corporations to build infrastructure projects in Ecuador, like power plants that benefited a few wealthy families, those who own the big industries and the big mansions and the shopping malls, while most of the people couldn't even afford to connect to the electrical lines. And yet the people were left holding a huge debt. The members of the military junta got wealthy. The wealthy, few wealthy families get wealthy. Many of them have left the country. And now Korea, who, as I said before, has a Ph.D. in economics from the University of Illinois, understands the system. He says, you know, my people don't owe this money. Let no. those Go find those dictators. Get them to pay. Let the bankers pay. Let the bankers, you know, suffer their losses. Let the economic hitmen, let John Perkins pay. But my people in Ecuador do not owe this money. 
Right. John, we only have a couple of minutes left here, but I want to ask you about something really interesting in your last letter that you sent out on the 21st of, uh, of August. And before we get to that even, I want you to tell our listeners where they can uh, sign up for this letter so they can keep track of what you're doing. Where should they go? Well, thank you, Jay. www.johnperkins.org. Org. It's really easy, and there's a little box there. You just fill in your email address, and you'll get a newsletter about once a month. Excellent. Well, I want to ask you now about, uh, you made some reference in here about the message that was sent to the President of Ecuador, a message that was also sent uh, to President Obama when the IMF uh, head was uh, was caught in a scandal, or was either either contrived or real. Whatever the case was, he was his his career was uh, was over with. Essentially, would have uh, possibly become uh, uh, head of the French government. Uh, what? How? Why are you linking him? Uh, why is that? Of you say that President Obama watched the head of the IMF uh, brought down by the acquis- by the accusation of a New York City hotel chambermaid. What? What was that to President Obama? Why would that be important to him? Well, it's a very important move, and, and first of all, I, I have no idea whether Strauss Kahn, the IMF president, was guilty or not. He may well have been guilty. I don't know. I'm not making a judgment on that. Yeah. But what we do know is that all it takes is a rumor from one person to destroy a career. He was thrown out of the IMF, and he was he was probably going to be the next president of France, or at least he was going to be running for it. No longer can do that. So when and, and Obama knows that could happen to him, Korea knows it can happen to him. Any major world leader understands today that character assassination can destroy a person as easily as a bullet can in, in many ways, at least politically. Yeah. And, and so these people are very, very vulnerable. I think it's important for us to recognize that whoever is president of the United States or holds any major political uh, position in the United States is very, very vulnerable, whether it's a Romney or, or an Obama or who it is, they know as soon as they get in the Oval Office, if not before, that they've got to tread very, very carefully because if they upset the, the really powerful corporations, uh, they can be brought down by a rumor whether it's true or isn't true. All right. Unfortunately, John, we are out of time. Uh, there would be so much more to talk to you about. Thank you very much for coming on with us again. Uh, we'd certainly love to have you back again sometime soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jeff Deist and Michael McKay. Jeff Dice, Ron Paul's chief of staff, and Michael McKay, commodity trader and uh, uh, free market advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Euristar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information. 
Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. 